0: Hey, welcome to the 51st episode of the High Impact Man podcast. Uh, We wanted something special for this episode and the second episode. We'll feature Dr. Dane Aigley. We had to break it into two because he's accomplished so much in his life. Listen to the beginning of the podcast and you'll just hear his bio and realize all that he's done. He's served in the White House, he's served in national security. He's currently uh, consulting in national security in Saudi Arabia. Uh, He has two master's degrees working on a third. He has a PhD. He's married to his beautiful wife and they have a ranch in Colorado. Uh, Sit back and enjoy this man of God, this true man of God and high impact man.
1: Welcome to the high impact man podcast. High-impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. What you're hearing from the culture
0: is not right. Pick up the six, you know what
2: I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To
1: help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs.
0: All right, here we go with another podcast episode of the High-Impact Man Um, We have an incredibly special guest for you guys we've we've been saving him for for a year now because what we wanted to do was have a guest on kind of really hit a home run or a grand slam with uh, our end of our final year podcast so uh, this man has accomplished so much we think it's going to take at least two episodes so we're going to break this up into two Uh, this one should be I believe episode number 51 meaning that the next one will be episode 52. Since there are 52 weeks in a year, that means we've had a whole year of weekly uh, unique podcasts. Yeah, And uh, so that's that's uh, we're kind of excited about that. I'll let you know about our guest in a second. My name is Nevin Gorky. I'm your host. I'm known as D-Fib to the guys in the F3 world. And I'm joined as always by my co-host Troy Klinger, known as Dial-Up in the F3 world. And Dial-Up, Um, I have to say uh, two things. So first of all, the last podcast, which aired this week, um, it was before the Super Bowl. Yep, And I was being all kind of, you know, a big braggart about the Eagles (laughs) going to be the Super Bowl champions. And obviously that didn't happen. So, hey, little humble pie. That's okay, Yeah, how big though? of a
2: piece of humble pie do you want? <laughs> I, can, I can cut it here.
0: No, that's okay. I think I've eaten enough. But uh, anyway, uh, the Eagles made it and the Cowboys didn't to the Super Bowl. So that's, you know, just a victory in itself. <laughs> um, Pick that G-string. Um,
2: so It, it was kind of sad to see your your demeanor just slowly <laughs> deflate <laughs> Sunday night. <laughs> like you're on this high to start. Yeah. And just slowly. Yeah. It, it just dwindled. No, yeah, that little yellow hanky came out at the end. Words started to come out. This isn't good. This yeah. is, no, that's but the not other
0: good. thing is, and I, and no, I am not, I am not blaming the referees. But in the podcast that is currently airing before you know at, at before the Super Bowl, you said when the Eagles, we knew the Eagles were going to face the Chiefs. Well, they just have to beat the Chiefs and the referees. I did. That's what you said. Yeah, kind of prescient. Yeah. All right. Um. So our guest today is uh, Dr. Dane Aigley. He's got a lot of titles. I know him as my friend. And I've known him for, boy, I don't even know now, 20 years, something like that. Um, he, he grew up in Danville, which is where we're located, and that's how we know him so well. He and his family attend uh, the church that uh, that we attend, and that's how I met him. And I just want to I want open it up with this little story. I moved here in, to Danville, Pennsylvania in 1991, met my wife and got married. I think it was in 93. It might've been 94. I can't remember anymore. Anyway. Um, first time we attended the first Baptist church, we were looking for a church to attend. The service ended and a couple that was sitting behind us introduced themselves. And it was Dane's parents, Cork and Connie Aigley. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you uh, now that that made a huge impression on my wife and I, and, uh, you know, Dane's going. Dane, first, tell you his dad wasn't perfect, but I'm telling you, he was on fire for the Lord. Uh-huh. And uh, that man didn't hesitate to boldly share the gospel. But man, the hospitality that they had—you know—when we first uh, walked into the church uh, was amazing. And uh, Dane's mom still lives here; she's in her nineties. His dad has still since passed away, but uh, but that's the first time I met any of the Aigley family, and uh, it was is really pretty special. Uh, it really was part of what made my wife and I feel at home at the church that we still currently attend. So uh, what I'd like to do is read uh, Dr. Aigley's bio because it's uh, incredibly impressive. And once I read this, you're going to see why this is going to be two episodes. Heck, it might even be three, probably two. So anyway, I'm just going to read it. So you all sit down, strap in, and get ready. Here we go. Dane served at the White House on the National Security Council staff as director for counterterrorism and global counter-narcotics and was senior advisor to the president for hostage rescue policy, and chaired the Interagency Hostage Working Group, serving under George W. Bush and National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice. He currently serves as Senior Military Advisor to the Minister of Defense in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Before this assignment, he served as Senior Policy Advisor for Counterterrorism and Defense Operations Policy at the Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Coast Guard in Washington, D.C., and before that position, served as a National Security Consultant in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Ministry of Interior to develop their first homeland security strategy and help reorganize their border guard. Dane previously held senior government position as program manager in the Department of Energy, National Nuclear Security Administration at Los Alamos National Laboratory, New Mexico. And was national security advisor for Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory, Maryland, specializing in homeland security, resilience and cybersecurity. He is president of Cardinal Headings LLC focused on leadership development, international consulting to support national security and homeland security. He is the former president and co-founder of Hyperloop Advanced Research Partnership, exploring next-generation high-speed transportation systems. He is the author of Beyond the Storms: Strengthening Homeland Security and Disaster Management to Achieve Resilience and Hyperloop: The Future of High-Speed Transportation. He has appeared on ABC, CNN, Fox News, C-SPAN, Al Jazeera, and NPR to address national security and hostage rescue policy. He is in the process of publishing a new book entitled Victory at Sea, Discovering God's Providence in the Miracle and Mystery of the Exodus. As a Coast Guard officer, he served in, on six ships in operational leadership positions conducting search and rescue, homeland security, and maritime law enforcement missions. He also served at NORAD NORTHCOM as Director of Future Operations, J-35, and as Senior Maritime Advisor to the Combatant Commander for the Homeland, his final assignment on active duty. Academically, he was adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University, Kerry School of Business, and Whiting School of Engineering, distinguished professor at the Colorado Technical University in Homeland Security Studies, and at University of Colorado, taught national security, public administration, and cybersecurity. Dane is a Danville Ironman who grew up in the big city of Riverside, graduated from the Coast Guard Academy, earning a bachelor of science degree in civil engineering. He received graduate degrees from George Washington University, and National Defense University, a doctorate from University of Colorado in Denver in public policy, and is a distinguished graduate of the Naval War College. He is also a graduate of Harvard University's Kennedy School Executive Education Program, specialized in homeland security, and as a lifelong learner, he is currently attending Dallas Theological Seminary and anticipates graduating in fall of 2023 with a master's degree in biblical and theological studies. By the way, that gives him three master's degree and a doctorate if you're counting. He is married to his cowgirl, Anne-Marie, wife of 37 years, and they live on a small ranch in the mountains of Colorado located 50 miles west of Colorado Springs. They have four grown children. Caleb and his wife, Jessica, have three grandchildren in Altus, Oklahoma, Corey and husband, Carson, in Colorado Springs, Constance, who lives in Austin, Texas, Texas, and Colson, who lives in Colorado Springs. He visits the Susquehanna Valley regularly because his mother, Connie Agley, still lives at the family homestead in Riverside. Dane's passion is creative evangelism, discipleship, and Bible study. He is a volunteer chaplain in the Colorado State Correctional System and especially enjoys men's ministry and encouraging others through iron-sharpening iron, iron sharpening relationships and application of Scripture. Whew, take a deep breath.
2: Yeah, there's something glaringly missing from this. Though. <laughs> what would that be? <laughs> There should be something in here about, like, in the summer of, like, 2021, he was bestowed the name Cutter. Cutter, yeah. By his F3 brothers F3 here. F3 Cutter. oh man. That ranks That's right him. up there with everything on here, I think. And he was, I think, <laughs> I
0: think he was the first one to go full Chippendale on us. He
2: was the first full Chippendaler.
0: Yeah, and the one thing I left out of there, which we're going to talk about <laughs> as well, is that he just finished his 28th marathon, 28th, I believe, marathon in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, I'm going to bring him in now and let him, we're going to start this podcast off with a story of his his marathon, then we're going to back up in time and go through this thing chronologically. Perfect plan. All right. Brother Dane, Dr. A. Hello there. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks, Nevin and Troy, or I I should say defib and dial up. It's great to be with you guys. Cutter here.
0: Yeah, Cutter, our man. So tell us about the marathon
1: you know, it's the second one they've had. Last year they did it a week or a month later in March. It was just too windy, uh, sandy, and and hot, so they moved it up a month. And uh, you know, I had trained a little bit, but uh, really just kind of looked at it as a training training uh, evolution. But actually uh, finished finished in five and a half hours, so um, that was that was okay. It was a good workout.
0: Yeah, and this is, and tell everybody how old you are, because so I guess I'm a reference of uh, how good shape you're in. <laughs> I'm 65,
1: <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was, there was about uh, 550 runners. I think I finished uh, 240th or something like that, so still still, tr- still putting it out there if, if, as long as I can.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and, and you did go Chippendale through the marathon, even though somebody warned you, you know, kind of said, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that, right?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it was a question whether I should, and I got out there, and and I I just uh, felt like I had to do do the normal, you know, you, you know, you know this Troy and Nev, you, you got to stay with your routine. You can't deviate or or you get in trouble. So yeah. I just I just stayed, and it turned out fine. It turned out fine.
0: Nobody arrested you. Took
2: you to the who's gal. His nipples no, would have chafed, fine. right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> had you worn a shirt, you're not. Your nipples aren't used to that. They would have chafed. You would have bled everywhere. Exactly.
3: Yeah, that'd be bad.
0: <laughs> All right. Now, well, and the dial-up wants to know. You, you got a picture out there, and you said something about a gold, uh, solid gold medal. Is that is that pure gold? The metal you got?
1: No, 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 it's not. But they they really do a good job of. of uh, it's it's a wealthy country, very affluent. So you never know. They yeah. they come up with stuff that's pretty, pretty uh, extravagant, right. opulent.
2: Yeah, yeah. As, I was wondering, because you had said about pure gold in there, and I th- I wasn't sure whether you were referencing the other guy that finished with you or whether the medal was truly pure gold. And I was like, well, where he's at, it wouldn't surprise me. <coughs> but I wouldn't want to pay the entry fee. Right, right. What's the entry fee to that? <laughs> if that was the finisher's medal. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, let's uh, so let's uh, just start from the beginning. You grew up in the thriving metropolis of uh, well Riverside, which is just across the river from Danville, so it's a, s- a small part of the Danville proper area, I guess. Um, so tell us what life was like growing up here in the uh, Susquehanna Valley.
1: You know, I think it's a great place to grow up. I, I mean, uh, it's salt of the earth, uh, hardworking, uh, straight up Americana, and the coaches, the teachers, the the People in church um, just were great people, and it was uh, you know baseball, basketball, football. Everything was done by seasons of sports. Uh, we didn't have the computer games and mm-hmm. and a lot of the technology. So kids were outside. Yeah. Kids were outside running, and um, I mean over there where you live in Riverside, Troy, that was that was one of our. Uh, tr- stomping grounds, the, the woods behind your house, yeah. we, we, ha- we we owned that. We just took up, took it over. And uh, it was a great place to grow up. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, had a community. You know, we found it. My parents arrived there because my dad uh, went to Geisinger as the first uh, rehab medicine uh, physical therapist back in the 50s. And he actually... Uh, went to finish his college degree up at uh, Lock Haven, which I think it's a school you're familiar with. Yeah, uh, Troy,
2: I was going to ask about that. I just wanted to confirm because I thought I thought that was the the case. I thought he had went there because uh, I'm an alumni, and then I got both my uh, both my kids are there now currently as well.
1: Yeah, he did his, his freshman year at East Strasburg, and then he shifted up to Lock Haven. So, you know, I think Central PA in general, and and that Susquehanna Valley in particular offer some, some neat things. Uh, I have great memories uh, growing up because every family took the kids under their wings. So, I mean, I had, like, the, the men of the church, for example. I could list all of them, Bob Davis, Norm Krebs, uh, Joe Morris, all these legends, Hawkins, all those uh, legacy families of, of the church there. Mm-hmm. It kind of took the kids under their wings, especially the troublemakers, like, like I was prone to, prone to be in that category
0: right and uh, so you uh, you uh, terrorized the Danville woods and uh, and but you were uh, and you played all the sports but uh, you were uh, played football when you went to, to Naval cat Ac- or Coast Guard Academy did you not?
1: Yeah, you know that was that was really the entree to to the academy. I, I had up my heart set on West Point Annapolis um, and and my college board SATs weren't there. Uh, but my grades and other factors were. So I went up for an interview, and the football coach <laughs> for, fortunately uh, uh, saw fit to put a little endorsement in my application package, I think, because it probably helped. And you know, I, I was not really sure what I wanted to do, but i I quickly realized that Coast Guard was not was kind of cool because smaller service, smaller academy, and uh, playing Division Three sports is no joke. It's it's got it's a really good brand of, of sport.
0: Yeah, and you were a linebacker, right?
1: Yes, I, I enjoyed I I played at Danville and um, then and then at the Coast Guard Academy and kept that going. And yeah, I think you know those are those are all things that that play into the fabric of, of what you're going to do in the future. And God knows. You're going to need some of that tender tenderness and from from Riverside, but some toughness from the from the gridiron.
0: Right, right. So let's. Uh, I'm going to talk about. I'm going to just inter, uh, inter intermingle. That's not the right word. But anyway, I want to talk about your faith throughout this whole thing. So, tell us about your faith journey when you were uh, you know before you went off to the Coast Guard Academy.
1: My mom taught uh, Good News Club, child evangelism in our basement when I was in grade school every Friday afternoon. So. She did a marvelous job of, you know, the good old flannel graph. And I Mm. would, I would make, (laughs) I would accept the Lord every Friday afternoon as my savior. (laughs) And (laughs) I I wanted to cover all bases just just to be (laughs) safe. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And uh, it it was, it was, uh, you know, my parents had 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 a really neat conversion. And um, they, God called them out of, you know kind of a religious background they were they were observers of church but they didn't know him per, the lord personally as their savior and and uh they encountered John chapter 3 you must be born again and they they called along with the back and stows they asked uh the pastor to come over and they they kind of interrogated him said hey what's this all about
3: yeah
1: and a uh, very gentle kind pastor named bird springer who was uh, the mm. pastor when i was a young boy he explained to them and it was no turning back. Those two couples, um, and, and you know, they they just um, trusted the Lord as their Savior, a very simple confession. And, and us five kids came along. I, I was about the time I was born. So I remember my brother, uh, five years older than me, taking me up front at a Christian camp mm-hmm. uh, called Red Rock up near Benton. He was concerned I wasn't saved. At, and I was, he would have been 10, I would have been five. So he took me up front and basically told the, the leader, this nurse, he needs to accept Christ as his savior. And I argued with him. I said, no, I know the Lord is my savior. I did. did." And it was like, I, I defended my own faith in front of in front of them. And it was kind of like, can you really know that early five years old? And I, I think if the conditions are right and God's calling you, um, that's the profound mystery of God's uh, grace. And so, you know, I grew up in a home like that. And, And in high school, to be honest, you know, I, I had a foot in both worlds. Right. I I could play both both groups. Uh, and I and I did that all the way through high school, you know, and uh we can talk more about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, I um I think that, that grounding that you get um though probably served you well when you went when you had to leave the home, right? You went off to college, went to the Coast Guard Academy. because, um, I mean as is probably regimented and disciplined as the Coast Guard Academy, there's still probably trouble you could get into.
1: Yeah, I went there back in the Stone Age. I mean, it was 1975. It was the last all male class. Uh, there was still some, you know, hazing and and rough stuff going on um, in those days. And I I think my background in, in sports in there in that part of the, the country there taught me, you know, working hard and and uh, showing up, being faithful was was normal. Mm-hmm. So that part was easy. I. I went there kind of riding the the uh wave of my parents faith in the church and all the the religious activity that I was involved with there. And like like your kids and like my kids, they had you know I had to make a choice. Right. So it was really after my first year, Nevin, mm-hmm. uh, that that I took a walk. I can remember very distinctly uh having survived a tough academic year at a military academy in this, in a hard major, you know, I was a civil engineer. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I, I just remember the Lord, I, I felt him saying, Dane, is this your faith or is it going to continue to be others just kind of bringing you along? And I, I made a distinct, uh, fell to my knees in, in tears of gratitude and just said, Lord, I I want your best in my life, and I'm ready to grow and learn and, and walk with you. And it, it wasn't a salvation moment so much as it was a dedication moment that I realized that I was really not, not not being consistent, my the integrity of my faith was fragile, mm-hmm. and I was I was done playing church and playing religion. I wanted to take it take it to the Lord and be honest with Him that I was not. Um, so I conf- I confessed that I wasn't where I should be, but I wanted to learn and grow. And boy, I I would say that was a dangerous dangerous moment because the Lord took me at my word and. And a lot of things started to happen that I I look back now and can see his his hands of faithfulness all over it.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's amazing. So, um, and and I think I don't know. Do you think sometimes this happens in stages because different times in our life, you know, we're obviously big changes when you're going through, you know, you're a child, you go know, through puberty, you got adolescence and teenage life, and then college life. I mean, I think uh, you know the Lord is there all the time, but uh, and we're all unique. But uh, might be just different stages that we need to uh, do different things. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me about the Coast Guard. So you get out of the academy and uh, um, uh, tell us you how you you were in thirty years, thirty one years. How long were you in the Coast Guard?
1: Uh, thirty three.
0: Thirty three. I'm sorry, I shortchanged you. Yep.
1: yep.
0: Yeah, thirty three. Came out. So of, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I would say
1: you know the, the the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, now Space Force. Um, Coast Guard is the smallest of the services but it's unique in that it's um, both um, title X military title 14 law enforcement so we have the unique uh, authorities and jurisdictions to fight in the war combat uh, battlefield but also to do law enforcement mm-hmm. with civilians so that's the boating maritime piece but I it was funny as I grew up in central Pennsylvania we hadn't done a lot of boating and and uh, underway time at sea but they teach you all that. They just take you from scratch. And as, as you both know, we all have certain skills hiding inside of us that we that we don't necessarily know we have. And I think what, what God knew and I didn't was that that was a place that I was going to find some fun skills that I didn't didn't really know I had, like ship handling and search and rescue and, and actually leadership, mm-hmm. um, that that all kind of uh, ma- matured and materialized. Uh, with God's help, with His direction, and um, what a great experience! Then, because all the things that happen in in history and time, you realize that uh, you know the country needed the Coast Guard to become bigger, stronger, and faster in a lot of ways. So, I got to experience that.
0: Wow! Yeah, I'm sure a lot of changes over
2: 33 years, different things. So, so how did your schooling work? Did like Did you go? Did you do the the college studies first, and then? Like your Coast Guard training then did you serve in the Coast Guard afterwards or was it like intermingled like how what was this what was that structure like
1: yeah so the four years at the academy you have three things going on you have a um, academic requirement so you're in a bachelor's program all four years right there okay but simultaneously you're doing military training and uh, the athletic piece you have mandatory athletics so um, all three of those things are going on but but the academic rigor is, is serious. I mean, it's a it's a small Ivy League quality education. It started years ago with an engineering focus, uh, but the, the curriculum has gradually expanded. So when you graduate, like in my case, 1979, uh, you have a bachelor's degree, and then you hit the field and serve on a, on a cutter or on an aircraft or wh- whatever you get assigned, and you start your military career um, just like everybody else. And during those four years they're during the summers, instead of going, you only get two or three weeks to go home. Yep. So they're training you uh, basic officer skills in the field. And so it's all happening simultaneously. If, like you said. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So what was your first assignment?
1: I went to an icebreaker out of Seattle uh, called the polar sea. And, uh, <laughs> I, I did, uh, uh, let's see, two Arctic trips and one Antarctic and I, I just started learning the basics of what it means to be a seagoing officer in the trade of uh, ship handling, search and rescue, maritime law enforcement mm. uh, and breaking ice uh, for for the missions, science research and resupply in, in Antarctica. And I mean, just a crazy time uh, as a bachelor to be deployed six months at a time and, you know, it was just uh, learn as you go, but as as a young ensign, you know your first five years, you're you're really an apprentice, mm-hmm. learning the skills, the trade. And you're making withdrawals from the account, and you know the organization is committed to, to teaching you and bringing you up to speed. But I really, I tell you what happened during that time, which snuck up on me, is I found out that I was a sea. I love going to sea, mm-hmm. going to the high seas, serving on in in. Uh, in those conditions all over the world. It it just, uh, who would have thought, you know, out of, out of central Pennsylvania that I just fell in love with that. And I forgot about being a civil engineer. I forgot about being a, you know, sports and whatever. I, I, I just, um, took a swan dive into the profession, um, and learned the skills of a seagoing officer and the history and the lure and the, and all the fun that goes with that.
0: Wow! Yeah, I never, I didn't really give that much thought. You know, you come from Central Pennsylvania. Next to you know, you're out, you know, sailing boats in the ocean. That's
2: he, he grew up probably fishing on the Susquehanna River. I mean, <laughs> right? It's not much of a difference, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. tell you what.
3: When I,
1: when I was growing up, Troy, that river you did not get anywhere near, it. it was industrial, right. Um, heavy metal dis- uh, waste in the, in the environmental your, your movement. Legs with, your,
2: <laughs> your legs would dissolve. <laughs> it,
1: it, w- it was nasty. I mean, I can remember getting in there and or, or just looking at it, it as like really nasty uh, stuff.
2: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I grew
0: up along that river up in the Wyoming Valley. Yeah, your area is the one polluting it, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> that and above us, in New York. Uh, yeah. It's But, uh, you know, when it's, when it's got this... Effervescent glow, it's probably not normal, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, the sludge was not was not very inviting. No, no. And now,
0: there were some there were some uh companies up just north of where I grew up, it's like Pittston area, I think. Anyway, I think they got in big trouble because they were dumping what got caught dumping waste and you know different things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Susquehanna was not where you wanted to go.
2: And and the Merck plant would have been it was there when you were a kid, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Merck was alive and well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's Merck Sharpen Dome. Is it still Merck Sharp and Dome? Has that changed? That was the company. Uh, yeah,
2: I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, well. They, they've been renamed and bought and played all the right. business. But it's pretty much downstream.
1: You yeah. know, it's downstream from Danville Riverside. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. we send that to Harrisburg. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well,
0: you know, I think just just an aside on the Susquehanna, I, I'm going to let a little cat out of the bag here. Oh. After I recover from my, you know, upcoming adventure, I already have a seesaw planned. Okay. And it might involve the river.
2: Okay. Cool. Let's do it. I, I have
0: no idea because i never actually, you know, experimented with this yet. But we'll see. <laughs> So nice. Yeah. Yeah. I figure we got to get, we got to get just so we,
2: you don't walk us across a frozen river. Like big, <laughs> like big red did with his kids and caused that. Yeah. Big red took his major, little boys
0: across the frozen river. And,
1: I
2: remember that. Brought yeah. out the fire trucks, cops and yep. some fines. They were waiting for him on the other side. <laughs> Great story. His kids will tell that story the rest of his life. <laughs> he made it by the way. He did. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, that was crazy. All right. So, I, you know, I didn't know that about you all this time I've known you. I didn't know that you started out on an icebreaker. It's That's pretty interesting. I was it, currently yeah. currently listening to a podcast on um, the art of manliness. This guy wrote a book about some, you know, the story of uh, Shackleton in Antarctic um, and the endurance. That's a pretty well-known story. But like a year before, there was a guy up in the north that got uh, the same thing. His, his boat got trapped in ice and crushed, and it was like another... Um, heroic effort to save everybody uh so that yeah i'm sorry are you going to say something but uh, you're talking about
1: you're talking about amundsen the norwegian up north
0: no no this guy uh, some guy named stevenson uh chartered the thing and i think he had a scientist on named bartlett or something like that that helped was uh kind of led and rescued the guys i just started listening to it
1: so i I won't i won't hijack the uh rhythm we have here but shackleton and the endurance has a connection to my ship because uh they just found it the ship last year. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's the Waddell Sea on on the side of the Antarctic continent where we operated Hmm. one of the times I was down there. So um, the charts that we had back then were so primitive in in the 70s that uh, I remember one time the only uh, soundings, depth soundings we had were from uh, Shackleton's drifting across the ice and then, for those of us that learned celestial navigation back before uh, GPS and, right. and satellite navigation, um, we studied the amazing accomplishment of his of his captain navigator right. to get from the wreck and Elephant Island to the whaling station. And what they did was uh, amazing a human feat. Right, uh, but God definitely was watching over him. But no, I'm, we're very familiar with that and. I think we, we take a lesson, for, you know, to apply it to what we're talking about here in leadership is, you know, how, how smart people learn from, from their mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, really smart people learn from the mistakes of others. Right. And, and, and the Shackleton gets a lot of credit for, uh, you know, just a stalwart leadership and, and accomplishing a lot. But, but uh they learned they learned some hard lessons the hard way, and and other other explorers, Amundsen from Norway, for example, they were taking the lessons of previous trips and applying them, so they didn't find themselves, um, uh, you know, marooned in Antarctica like Scott, explorer Scott, or in the tragedy of of the uh, Endurance. So we we do study it, but we we kind of look at it from two angles, if you know what I mean. That uh. Good leaders want to do the research ahead of time, make the preparations, have your supplies. Right, and when you're taking a wooden ship into a uh, that that area, um, so you know, you know, there's a lesson there we could we could explore.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, feel free to go wherever you want with this podcast. We're, we're this is all fascinating to me, I'm sure to other guys. Um, when I read the book, I was just like, wow, you know, they um, he uh, when they got to. Um, mainland or whatever that uh, were the whaling stations, they were on the opposite side of the island, right? Yeah. And, they, yeah. and he and another guy had a, right. Over it right. Yeah. And to this day, people would struggle doing that. I think is that, you know, from what I understand that was, I mean, it's just amazing.
1: Yeah. They did in two or three days, what it's taken uh, professional climbers to do for, you know, maybe a week, but I, I think that just in summary, I would say that, you know, leadership needs to include um, taking the time, to uh, I mean having courage and stamina in the face of uh, harsh conditions mm-hmm. there's no question. What if you could avoid facing those harsh conditions or minimize or mitigate that mm-hmm. by doing some things ahead of time? So we as mariners and ship uh, handlers and and going to sea, which no joke. I mean you're, you're, the ocean is a is a powerful you know and it can be your enemy one day and your friend the next. so he he made some uh, decisions at the front end. Right. with respect to people supplies and and, and uh, scheduling that could have been avoided mm-hmm. uh, no, no taking nothing away from the fact that when he got in it he was a strong leader and, and, and that so but we we try to learn from that ahead of time and apply the lessons in advance anticipatory yeah yeah,
0: yeah I think I, I said at the beatdown down yesterday I, I used to teach my kids that true wisdom is not having to learn the hard way uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> unfortunately we, the best teacher is experienced. And so, so <laughs> sometimes the lessons don't really get driven home unless you learn the hard way, but yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, so then you, you, you uh, you're breaking ice and, and experiencing both ends of the world. And, um, but you spent a lot of time in the Caribbean, right?
1: I did. I did. I, I from, I would say from, uh, uh, 1988 through, uh, 2003, so, yeah, probably twenty years of of really trying to be um, to to interrupt the drug trade and the pyra- i'll call it modern day piracy
3: mm-hmm.
1: in in the part of the world where they're still trying to run drugs and and other things human trafficking uh transnational criminal organizations, cartels
3: mm-hmm.
1: so we we tried to disrupt and deny them their the advantage and so I had. Several different ships, um, in different 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 kind of uh, locations, but they were the common denominator was to get in the departure transit and arrival zone, departing from South America, coming up to the arrival zone in the in the Southeast United States,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and get in there and mix it up and disrupt their their business. And you know that that um, you, you have various degrees of success, but I will say, deer hunting in Pennsylvania and, and being from from Susquehanna Valley didn't hurt. Uh, some of the sinister ideas I that I used to catch the bad guys and uh-huh. more than once I can remember someone saying well, where where did you learn that little maneuver where, where did you learn that little I said well I grew up uh, in a place where you had to kind of be handy in the woods you had to outthink the uh, deer and and there were some you know I, I grew up with some scallywags there and uh, <laughs> scallywags not animals, but they but they were they were uh Ruffians, uh-huh. ruffians, shall we say? I mean, the coal region does have its share of uh, uh, sneaky individuals. So, I mean, I, I did take some of those skills uh, came out uh, in the counter drug world, and and uh, I attribute some of that um, success in in, in the uh, anti crime law enforcement to to where I came from. Yep.
0: Yeah, I you uh, we I, I I communicate with you frequently when we were down in the Caribbean and remember one time we cruise a lot, my wife and I, and we cruised left from Puerto Rico and came back to Puerto Rico. And, um, when we came back, we had almost a whole day to kill before we had to get on our airplane. And, um, so we went to, uh, old town, uh, and, you know, San Juan and, uh, walking around and, and I'm texting Dane and I'm like, you know, I told him where I was and he said, oh, you got to go down to, you, you could describe it better Dane, but these guys that play, uh, with uh, dominoes, right?
1: Yeah, under the banyan trees. Under the
0: banyan trees. And so my we were with another couple and I made them traipse all around with me to find uh this it's like a little park, a little area, these tables. And uh yeah, and these guys were playing playing dominoes under the banyan trees and I wanted to get a picture. So I went over to them and I'm like like taking a picture and the one guy's like come here, come here, come here. And I, you know, and he he could speak English pretty well and he was like And I told him what I was doing. I said my friend used to be down here, you know. He told me I had to find you guys and stuff. So he had me sit down uh, and act like I was playing dominoes with all the other guys, and uh, (laughs) and got a picture and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was
2: really cool. Is this like high stakes dominoes that they play? I don't know. But one guy was One
0: guy was really mad that the game got interrupted for me to sit down. Oh, okay. And the guy that was nice to me, he's like, oh, don't worry about him. He's losing anyway.
1: Yeah, that was yeah it's a na- national sport down there. But, national but yeah, sport. The, th- the thing that people don't realize, you know, you come and go on cruise ships and all the tourists and all that. But all around that area, that an entire uh, Caribbean, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, is a lot of uh, criminal activity. Yeah. Uh, mingled, commingled at night. Uh, and so I spend a lot of that time doing uh, special operations and, and trying to mix it up with, with them and learning how to do that. I had a lot of help, and I would also just, you know, the my career was, you know, I was I had been in for let's say twelve years by then. I had my command of my own patrol boat coming out of Puerto Rico, but God used that time to, um, I mean, I started getting pretty, you know, some some serious success, and you get intoxicated with that mm. that glory and success, and it, and it was it was a season of my life there where a lot of uh, excitement, but also. You know, the Lord was had to do some work. He was starting to do some, you know, serious reflection on, on where you're going to go with your faith and your family and so forth.
0: Right. Wow. And uh, is that where you end it? Your uh, Well, no, no, we'll get to that. Uh, there's something else. I apologize. I know that from your bio. But I want to know when you're down there, like you're chasing these bad guys and stuff. I mean, how often did you have to, uh, you know, shoot up their boats and get in fire, firefights?
1: You know, we, we always had the upper hand on, on when it came to weapon systems and, and pow, you know, firepower. So once we – they would run, and uh, sometimes they would succeed in outrunning us. Uh, we we uh, brought in aircraft and other assets when we could. But you just tried everything possible. Fortunately, the boat I had was uh, fairly new. It, it could go about over 30 knots and, and had the ability to chase them down pretty good. But – um. They always seemed to have the advantage because they could go into the mangroves and run their boats in water yeah. we couldn't. So you tried to outsmart them, and, um, yeah, it was it was uh, exciting times, and, and there was a lot of uh, contraband being moved. Uh, Puerto Rico is a huge transshipment place because once you get it into Puerto Rico, it's in the U.S. from a custom standpoint. Right. Right unlike other places like Dominican Republic or Haiti where they still have to transship it and, and work through that so all, all that um, to say that you're you're mixing it up with the bad guys and there there weren't really, really many firefights we would fire warning shots across their bow to, to mm-hmm. stop them but they usually surrendered because you're dealing with the mules that are just hauling the, yeah. the contraband you're not dealing with the, the the big the big dogs right
0: did you ever get involved with um uh, sort of enemies of, to our country, uh, spying, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff?
1: The, in the Caribbean, it was it was really just the cartels, transnational criminal organizations. It wasn't major peer competitors like uh, China, Russia,
3: right.
1: North Korea, uh, Iran. Uh, I will say, you know, maybe you brush up against it when you hit Venezuela mm-hmm. because they were in the process of... Um, uh, you know, Hugo Chavez and, and these, these other leaders were shifting to a Cuban, um, you know, alignment with Cuba. So there there was always that backdrop of, uh, you know, strategic uh, geopolitical. But Coast Guard at that point was really focused heavily on, on disrupting the drug trade mm. as many seizures as possible. You know, it was put drugs on the table, you know. Uh, the end game, but um, yeah, it's a region of the world that that is is really interesting, and we hit just about every um, Caribbean island nation, and a lot of, a lot of interesting cultural things to learn there. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, these the, the the islands have become um, really heavily dependent on on the drug trade, and the the U.S. Uh, thirst for the for the drugs flowing through there, mm-hmm. which is a sad story. But on the other hand, there are, amidst that there are some there's some uh, some exciting positive things that that if you take the time to go to places like Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, Trinidad and Tobago, Barbados, I mean you you, you do see the beauty uh, yeah. come out. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We're, that's one of our hopes is to one of the cruises we want to take on our bucket list is they call it the ABC. Mm-hmm. Cruises, Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Um, but another one that I want to do is Antarctica. They have cruises to Antarctica. I really want to do that. Yeah. Why? It looks really cool. <laughs> okay. You get like walk around with penguins. penguins. Yeah, penguins. penguins. Yeah. yeah. Like walk around with penguins and stuff. And
2: so, so Cutter, when when you're doing all this, uh, kind of not drug enforcement, but drugs drug seizure, right, and trying to to slow down the trade, Did, like. What was your sense when you were doing that? Did you feel like you were really making a dent into the it, in into the you know the transport of drugs into the United States or did you feel like you were fighting a lost cause? Did you feel like you were kind of maintaining the status quo, maybe catching half of like what what like what was your like how, how did you feel when you were doing that?
1: You know the the <clears throat> I think we felt good because we knew we were making it uh, uh, we were we were disrupting and we were denying, we were defeating in, in our own way tactically. Um, so you chip away at the bad guys any way you can, no, knowing that it, it might be only 10% or 15% of the major drug flow. And they they write it off as overhead. Mm. But if you're not there, if you just give up, throw your hands up and just say, ah, whatever, let it run through. I think it's like any um, enterprise against evil that – that you need to let evil know that you're not gonna quit. And it sends a huge message to the rest of the world. And and it, as you get old as you get to be the captain and the leaders and, and help the crew understand these simple things, simplify it for them. That you know, we're out there rescuing people, search and rescue. Oh, we're doing law enforcement as well. We're doing my interrupting the migration, the drugs. There's goodness in that because you know, we're the only ones out there doing that. We're out there during Christmas and New Year's, and it, and it lets the crew know that, you know, as future Americans and citizens that they're doing a good thing. And it was always my job to interpret and translate it for, along with, you know, the other leaders on my ship to, to say, look, um, this is honorable work. And, and every, every, every surgery you do in the hospital isn't heroic. It's, it's slug it out, do the best you can. Right. So I think there's a, a reminder that being faithful and being a country that takes a stand and says, as long as America's here, we know we're part of the problem, but we're not going to give up completely. So, I mean, it, it, at times, you know, you you, you you look at a boat full of uh, young, young girls being brought over from Dominican Republic. To be prostitutes, and you realize you got to stop them, catch them, and and detain them. But you realize it's part of a bigger, uh, ugly side of things. But we we are the law enforcement uh, side of it, and your your presence there is a priority because the American public says we want to demonstrate to to others that you know we have the ability to to interrupt it. We're going to do what we can, even if it's not. In the in the macro sense, s- successful.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: um, I forgot about the uh, human trafficking and stuff like that. That's just heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and you know, just when you get discouraged, uh, Troy, um, God opens your eyes to something where you're in, you're in the windward pass between Cuba and and Haiti, and the the the, the uh, Haitian sailboats are leaving with. Four hundred people on a boat that should holds should hold eighty or ninety. The boat's going to sink if you don't rescue them. Yeah, they're just so desperate; they're willing to put to sea. So, you know, just when you think you're not making a difference, all yeah. of a sudden you rescue like seven hundred people in one day, mm. and they're on your boat. That you deliver a ba- one of their babies on the flight deck, and God, God just says, "Look, amidst this mess, mm-hmm. this total um, uh, chaos, don't forget that that I have a plan for you." And and just be faithful and do your part of the bigger bigger picture. And and I'll, I might just surprise you. And um, you know, I would take a pocket full of pennies and go out on the flight deck. And all these little kids are there, and they're just huddled with their parents. And I, I would just try to bring a little bit of that, you know, Cork uh sense of humor and, and have fun with them, mm. and and do penny tricks and whatever. And it, it was it was kind of the way I think we should approach life and realize that. Um, God God has a way of, of making a way amidst darkness and bringing us out, and, and we should be a, a light and, uh, the best we can. And, and, uh, and you're surrounded by people, not only the ones you're helping, but your own crew that are saying, you know, why am I here? Or mm-hmm. maybe my marriage is not going well. So I, I, I felt a sense of purpose, Troy, in my own presence there, um, because I was out away from my family, deployed mm-hmm. kind of like I am now. But – seeking, seeking to see, you know, seeking a way to, um, Lord, what do you have? What, yeah. what, what, what is it you have? Why do you have me here? Why, why, what, what should I be doing?
2: Yeah. We talked about that, I think on a recent podcast where, uh, I, I can't remember which episode it was, but when we, we talked about how God is so good at that, at sometimes you're, you're serving, whether it be a ministry or your work or, or whatever it might be, wherever, wherever he has you. And he has that way of just usually when you're just starting to feel a little discouraged, you know, feel a little down and feeling like, well, yeah, why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's your plan for me, God? He has that way of just delivering something, something simple or something to remind you like, hey, you're here for a reason. You're doing good work. Right. Keep it up to, to keep you going and to keep you from kind of cashing in your chips and putting your hands up in the air and saying I'm done. Uh, and so it's yeah, sounds like you were experiencing that. Uh, well to continue doing to work
1: absolutely um i would just kind of pull this little segment together with a verse that i found recently it's it's quoted by isaiah 64 but then paul quotes it in 1 corinthians check this out i has not seen ear has not heard nor has anyone imagined what god has planned for those who love or wait for him first mm-hmm. corinthians 2 9 isaiah 64 4 and i wrote it down with hopes that Somewhere in this podcast, we, we would talk about that first a little bit, and it's exactly what you're saying, um, Dial-Up, that that we we can't even imagine. Um, he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think, and I think it's, it's in that crucible that we're talking about here with men that we uniquely have the ability to challenge, encourage, inspire one another to be uh, the leader, to be faithful, and Uh, Without without preaching too much, I I I look at people like uh, the late Howard Hendricks. uh, Was a great promise keeper. Uh, He spoke. He Dallas Dallas Theological Seminary. Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans. They all say things like a church will not rise any higher than its men. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: If you want to see what's going to happen to a society, look at the men. So I think that what you're doing with the podcast, what you're doing at F3, what you're doing in your community there amidst your own family, amidst your own situation, you two, uh, I just want to leave you two with a little encouragement as well, that we need to be deliberate, intentional, and I think um, very uniquely focused on men. Because if you reach men, as you both know, you you reach the families and you reach the whole community in a way that is more – the return on investment with men is just so high, I think.
0: Yeah, it's a great word, man. Yeah, and it's easy to get discouraged uh, now than it was, I think, in the past because of social media and a 24-hour news cycle. All we hear is bad news, and, um, and and a lot of it's not even true. I mean, all this stuff about aliens now. And, I mean, it's like, you know, what? can we so? Well, if you haven't been paying attention, <laughs> we're shooting down aliens. Don't you know that? Yeah. But, um,
1: well, I—, I uh, in case in case people aren't noticing, anyone that knows uh, Nevin and Troy, you're both upbeat positive guys, but most importantly you have hearts that are set on the Lord. Right. And so, you know, I can't resist doing what I do for a living, and that is encouraging two guys in my life mm-hmm. who have who have been an encouragement to me by by the way you conduct business. And both of you are whenever I see you you got smiles on your face and you're upbeat positive guys and you're in your I mean even though you are you got your own challenges with your health, with your family, with with all those things, you're being faithful to the calling God has given you. And I think that's one of the reasons I was excited to be on this podcast is just to be part of whatever you two are doing. I, I kind of want to hang around that. It, one, it makes me feel younger than mm-hmm. I really am. And it also reminds me that, you know, take what you have in front of you, work it, and, and do a podcast. I mean, how cool is that?
0: Right, yeah. That's very cool. We get to meet. I mean, I know you, but we get to introduce people like you to the world, and and uh, other guys. We get to meet and hear their stories, and, and it's it's um, this the whole goal of our podcast, yeah. right? Encourage,
2: o- over, motivate, over, overcome some of the negativity that's yeah. out there, right? Well, what
1: this 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 is probably not going to follow the sequence, but um, just I will tell you this: you read my bio, and let's just fast forward through that. And I'd prefer. I would love to talk about the Lord as much as possible in his word, yeah. because that's the only thing that endures. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. So that's what I love to talk about. But here's what I'll tell you. I'm 65, <laughs> and and I the phone still rings. So if I'm, if I'm good with the Lord, I'm at peace with him, Romans 5, because of what he did. I'm at peace with the Lord. I'm at peace with my wife. We have a good marriage, not a great one, but I'm, we're working on getting it there. When you have that, you're unleashed, you have a license to go and, and really let it rip. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I thought when I retired from the military, okay, that's it, okay yeah. And then I then I taught at Johns Hopkins and wrote a book, okay, that's it. The bucket list is is maneuvered. I've hit Israel four times. I've gone to the places I want to go. I've taken ma- there's nothing left on the list and the Lord goes, okay, are you ready? Let's get started. And so, in some ways, I, I got news for you. Some of the best work is gonna be, you know, all that was preparation, Lord. That was preparation. I thought that was the main event. and I, I kind of feel like the Lord sometimes has reminded me, and even this gig here in the Middle East, as i've as I've shared with you on our um, in our relationship, in some ways, I feel like I've been, you know, just, Uh, rejuvenated, transformed, if you will. That's the word you're using, transformed in a high impact virtuous leader. I kind of feel like I've made a lot of mistakes and I have not done things as well as I should. I need to get going and apply that wisdom. And in some ways, the current position I'm in uh, leverages and, and draws upon every single thing I've learned from kindergarten and Riverside all the way through. Now, other jobs I had to be honest with you, Nev and, and Troy, a lot of those jobs used talent, skills, background, training. But where I'm at right now, I, I will honestly say, is is using everything that I ever studied, did, or got any experience, success or failure. Mm-hmm. And and in some ways, isn't that just the way God is? That He says, just when you think you're going to kick back and go to the ranch and go ride horses with your cowgirl. I've got something I still need you to do. And when I when I whine mule and puke with my and complain to my wife, she goes, Dane, you're we're young and healthy. Um, when has God not been faithful? But but I need my men's group. Where's my men's group? How am I gonna? She goes, When have you not found an awesome men's group? And guess what I have over here? I have an awesome men's group yeah. <laughs> called the Book Club. So I think the th- the thread that I that I would pull through this this interview and I think we'll continue to talk about it, is just how faithful the Lord is mm. in small ways, detailed ways, big ways, and that when we think we have it figured out, God's sense of humor just comes in and goes, get ready. Mm. I'm, I'm going to show you that I uh, have, have a plan for you that you can't imagine um, if you're willing to love me and wait for me. Oh, we lost him. No, no, in the military, we oh, say yeah. over, over, over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> well, you know, that's that's a great word, man. And you know, I appreciate the encouragement. I think anybody's listening to this, you know, why we got this guy on. I mean, my goodness. Um, and he's always encouraging me, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I love it. And that, that's where he is, wherever he goes, man. That's it's,
3: it, Yeah, I, I had share this,
2: this story. I mean, you were you were in the same same boat, right? We had the Sunday school. <laughs> class that we would teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, know, Dane would show up once, you know, maybe once a month, once every two months or so when he was visiting town Riverside. And you'd have your whole lesson planned out, ready to go for, <laughs> for the given Sunday. And the minute you saw Dane walk in the door, you, you just you folded it up, you put it in your <laughs> notebook because you knew that we were going to go somewhere totally different, and uh, Dane was going to have a message for us. We might end up just praying the whole time, right? Yeah, uh, you know, for each other. It was just, it was, it was. I, I just loved it when i see Dane walk in. I'm like, yep. Yeah he, he, here comes the disruptor. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to do something totally different than what I had planned today. Yeah. God God's got something else planned and he's using uh, Dane as the as the messenger. So yeah. Well, he loves the Lord and he loves Absolutely. other people. Absolutely. It just shines through you. So yeah. this uh great conversation so far. All right.
0: Well, I appreciate that word, brother. We're going and I'm going I want to get that, you know, that faith in every and throughout the whole thing here. But I do want to ask you about your time at uh, NORAD and Northcom at, at, at the end of your active duty career. What were you doing there?
1: I had just finished two years at, on the White House staff uh, on the National Security Council. The most uh, interesting, amazing uh, job I, I, I had in, my, in, in any in any in, by any by any measure. Yeah, well, let's, let's go. I let's thought, go there
0: first. Then let's talk about the White House. stuff. Yeah. I got I got out of order there. I apologize. How did you get there? I, that's, was, that's, I was
1: headed. I was headed to my next Coast Guard command as a captain. 06. And, and I was going to check the block to make admiral. That's kind of the progression. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I was invited to go interview uh, one of three. The other two guys, it was their dream. They would give up their right arm and their left arm for it, and they told them so. And I kind of reluctantly went because I was headed to um, San Diego, and, and our family was going to live in the lighthouse there at Point Loma. Mm-hmm. And uh, – but – uh, God had other, other uh, ideas. So when I went up to interview, I, I thought the other two guys were far more qualified and, and ready for it. But when you sit there across from someone like Condoleezza Rice, who is a Christian and who is just a rock star, God, God changed my heart. And in the interview, I remember I was with her for 10 minutes. It was um, Christmas uh, of 03. And she basically said, Why do you want this job? And I said, I don't know that I do. I am headed to, you know, and I told her, and she went, Wow, that's pretty cool. And, um, but I said, Ma'am, if you think I could be helpful, I would be honored to serve on your staff. And she said, That's a good answer. Hmm. Uh, I do, I do want you on, on my staff. And, and so what I learned when I walked out of that office, was one of those inflection points that you you've had them too, uh, Nevin and Troy. You both, and and that is that God's plans for us are better than our plans for ourselves and our own dreams, and and God just kind of showed up in my heart and 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 with my. <laughs> And his voice sounded a lot like my wife's voice. <laughs> uh, um, you know, come on, Dane. What are you going to learn on that seventh ship? You didn't learn on the first six. You're going to go have your whole life change. So God used my wife and and some other guys, other men, should I say, other men in my posse mm-hmm. to say, Dane, wake up. You don't, you know. And they helped me put it in perspective in a way that I could not. Right. So that's a great plug for men's ministry. But that job was a, a, a game changer. Because you, you're you at the epicenter of all the intelligence, and, and it was at a time when America was trying to get up back on its feet after 9-11 and, and figure out a lot of stuff. So as opposed to doing it the way Ali North did it back in the Iran-Contra era, <laughs> it, it was more of the interagency working with everyone to pull it together. So my office was in the uh, old executive office building right beside the West Wing, and what i started with was global counter narcotics but what happens is if you if you if you lean forward and you're you're a little bit crazy they they just ride you like a pack mule mm. and there's 106 senior officer from each of the branches of the service i was the coast guard representative i was supposed to be there for 1 year but what happened was i got the hostage portfolio which was a total surprise because they normally give it to a delta force special forces navy seal um Highly decorated uh, special forces guy. I, I held it what I, I thought I was going to have it temporarily. It turned out I kept it for for two years. And President Bush, Vice President Cheney, uh, Condoleezza Rice all maintained very close interest in that because it was a time in American history where we were having a lot of Americans isolated, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, lost, and unaccounted for. And and believe me, that that was high in their price. So I went from being working a, a portfolio that was fairly. Um, you know, counter-nar- global counter-narcotics. It's a gl- the war on drugs. It's somewhat just we, we check the block and keep going and, yeah, decisions. But it's, too, I, I went to where I had a lot more um, activity, interest, and and visibility, and that put me over in, in the White House more often, um, introducing hostages that we had rescued, um, uh, bringing together unique um, – Task forces and and authorities and permissions and strategy and policy in order to to get the most inc- uh, probability of finding our people and doing things with enemies that we were just learning that you know ISIS Al Qaeda asymmetric warfare mm-hmm. and the and these uh, modern day um, you know terrorists that that were that were a, a different breed, a little bit of a different breed. Than just fighting in Vietnam uh, against Viet Cong and so forth, so there was a lot of learning going on, and I I got to be in at the crossroads of that in in ways that I never imagined. So I would portray it as God placing uh, Joseph in the palace. One day, uh, in one day, Joseph was in the dungeon, and and in. uh, in less than 12 hours, he was the prime minister. I'm not saying I was the prime minister, but I, went, I did go from the dungeon of the Coast Guard up to the uh, palace in one day, right. in this, in a sense. And I felt that it was my turn to uh, roll up my sleeves, get to work, and help us figure out what we were going to do. and And I certainly did not feel adequate or qualified. But with the help of some really encouraging, amazing leaders, um, the, some of the names we just mentioned—they were great. They—they they were just good people, and they were appreciative of—I um, um, think military military individuals who just knew how to get in the in the trenches and s- shovel some coal, get 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 to work. And you know what? Good things happen when you when you're faithful. And I grew up a lot. I would say my wife and kids were super supportive because they didn't see me too much. I worked six days a week pretty much. And the, the tempo there was my wife saw me less than on a ship. So all that to say, um, my wife encouraged me to keep my head in the game and work hard and, and learn as much as you can as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. And so I would say my, that was my first PhD in, in um, governance, leadership, and, and strategery if, if, uh, and, and it doesn't hurt. Um, I I would just sum it up by saying when I left, um, my wife and kids, we went into the Oval Office and and President Bush fussed a lot over the family. And then as we were walking out, um, I just felt the Lord saying, Dane, you follow me and, and I'm gonna, um, I'll take care of what needs to be done. And, and uh, and when the president put his hand on my shoulder and said, Hey, Dane." Thank you for all you did to be in here. And just, you know, just that sense of satisfaction doesn't matter what the, there's no financial bonus. There's no really medal that would, would match just having the boss say, um, well done, a good and faithful servant um, now. You know, you don't. Have, a lot of times we think, I can't wait till I get. I want the Lord. To, I want to hear the Lord say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Someday in the future, when I get to heaven, well, I think part of what we do in men's ministry and, and situations like this is, if you if you slow down and listen to the Lord, He wants to say, "Well done," right now. Yeah. And we need to be saying that. We got to find a way to do that. And I think the president is a man of faith. I wasn't the only one he did that with, but he certainly left an impact on my life when he's. He just put his hand on my shoulder and I was in uniform and he said, hey, Dane, well done, man. Thanks. Thanks for what you did. And, you know, it's just that that was the culmination of those two years. I missed my window. Quote, unquote, missed the window for uh, a certain certain things you need to check to to make a flag officer. uh, But, um, you know, it was it was it was probably the high point. Mm-hmm. I try, I've try. I'm trying to replicate that in some ways with what, what I'm doing now, and I'm having having some interesting um, reflections on that because what I learned there was kind of preparation for some of the stuff I'm doing now. And quite honestly, I'll, I'll just summarize it this way: that was 2006. So, so 14, 16. Over the past 16 years, I've had quite a few different jobs and things. And when you look at my list of things there that you read. I, I will be honest with you. Can you see me now? Yeah yeah, all of a sudden we can see you. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. So so here's here's a, here's a, a principle, a capstone I want I want to say because you guys are do, you guys are expert interviewers and you're both very accomplished, uh, wildly successful individuals yourselves. So I can share this and know that, that you you will understand it. Um, what I learned there in those two years, has been the catalyst and i i've never really i've never really shared this before with with in in this way but honestly i would say what what i learned in those two years although i didn't know it at the time the people i met the places it took me and the and the opportunities have fueled everything i've done since then mm. my coast guard resume is Two lines, one paragraph or less. What people want in the, in the secular world, Christian world, is largely what did you learn at the epicenter, at the at the ground zero, at the, at the White House, yeah. and even over here, it is it's it's what fascinates them. So, as humbly as I can, I would just say that when God gives you that time in the palace, Joseph, or serving kings, Daniel, or leading a country, Moses, in whatever capacity it is. Um, reflect on how great God is and that he's still Yahweh all powerful and to the praise of his glorious name and then lean into it and the way you guys are are doing it in your world I would say same way but I look back now and and I, I would say those two years shaped guided formulated what took place over the past 16 and the job opportunities and the access connections, relationships networking to God's glory mm-hmm. on my good days. I make mistakes mm-hmm. I have I have a really uh, issue with pride and, and arrogance and all those things that you have to harness and work on but I have men in my life who love me unconditionally like Christ does and and they are helping me navigate that um, landscape, and you you two, to be honest are part of that 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 you've you've helped me understand that um hey we just want to be with you we just you know we want to do what Christ did with the disciples and that is spend time together so that when you do have the responsibility you are prepared to do it so i don't know if that makes sense but i i've never really kind of stitched that together that yeah.
0: way no i that's that does make sense
2: yeah what what i love there dana as you as you shared that is you just what kept speaking to me is you didn't feel necessarily equipped or ready for that assignment. Right. Like you were, you were hum, humble. I, I'm not, I'm not ready to do this, but ultimately you, you, you got the assignment and you said, okay, now I'm here. Now I, I got to do it. And I think it's, it's something that we've heard uh, through a lot of guys that we've had again on the podcast that have, that have shared that same message that it's, it, it's not about, Having the attitude of "I deserve mm-hmm. this role, I deserve this position," but the most successful guys that we've talked to, including me, you and know, what Dane's sharing here, the guys that were were kind of forced into situations that they humbly felt, mm-hmm. "I'm not qualified for this." But when they've been put, when they ultimately were put in that position. They embraced it and said, "Hey God, you got me here. I'm not quite sure why. I don't feel like I I belong to be here, but let's go. Let's figure it out." Yeah, I think I think if you you
0: live your life the way Dane described, um, relying on Lord on the Lord, and uh, and sometimes having to wait on Him, wait on Him, but you know, God, it tells us in Scripture to do everything with uh, with all of our heart. Yeah, right. And so when you when you wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you work your best at it. you don't always get rewarded for that but frequently people are going to see good work from somebody who has a relationship with the Lord because he's going to be effervescent he's going to yeah. be joyful he's going to be personable he's going to care and then and then you get rewarded by that but hopefully getting you know promotions and, and that stuff wherever you are but that's
2: not what you know, it's but about but even right? if you don't get it though it's okay. our job
0: is to be faithful
3: yeah
1: right yeah that so you yeah. know it's got to be genuine it's kind of like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego you know it's hey <laughs> The Lord's going to come in here and rescue us. We're we're in his hands. We're all good. But but if he doesn't, yeah. we're okay with that too. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: that's kind of how I'm approaching tomorrow.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. that's serious stuff. Yeah. yeah well. You know, I just, I'll just just leave you with one thing. I, I noticed that people would come and go from the NSC at the White House, like certain detailees from across the government. And they'd be gone. And I said to my boss one day, I said, what, what happened to so-and-so? He, oh, we sent him back to the CIA or back to the State Department. Oh, okay. What's that all about? Well, this is a senior director, and he said, "Well, there's two two ways that happens to you. You're either overly insecure or overly ambitious." Mm-hmm. And I went, "Oh, are you are you giving me some feedback?" And he goes, "No, you're fine. You're, you're right. You're right there. You got that." And so I think um, when I look back, to be quite honest, let's, let's just let's just Danville, Riverside. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a lot of unassuming downright successful people who were who who i'll I'll take my dad my dad was accomplished but but he 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 was so on fire for the lord a lot of people never knew what he had accomplished as an athlete uh hall of famer this that and the other i think we are the products of of our of our families and and our and our parents and if you look at cork and connie invested a lot in their children and especially Mm -hmm. the middle one who was uh a little bit of a rebel, mm. um, I could have gone south, and they they um, were were tough when they need to be tough, but they were absolutely sold out for the Lord. And and, and it, I tell you, my dad instilled in me a love for the scriptures that mm. it, to this day is just growing exponentially. And if we get time, I'll tell you about the book that I'm writing. I'm really fired up about this oh, book. Oh, that we're going to talk
0: about it. That's am, yeah.
1: I'm just um, but but point to to you know both of you are excellent uh, interviewers teasing out the the, the the themes. But the theme there is, as a parent, my dad taught, I was caught more than it was taught. My dad didn't lecture us. He did, he did. It was just the way he was. Quite honestly, I went into those situations in the White House and in the, and the, and, and, and the military at North Con, all these. And I and I had the advantage, quite honestly, of, of having been around my dad who loved people. Right. And, He didn't just do it at church that you saw. That was the way he was at Geisinger. That's the way he was at home Mm -hmm. most of the time. Uh, (laughs) And I had the advantage of Mm -hmm. going into situations where um, I brought that uh, personality and and desire and respect for people, intellectually curious, intellectually humble, Mm -hmm. to say, look, there are some things you can do that can really shorten your time at the White House. You'd be gone in a couple weeks but the mixture of not overly ambitious, not overly insecure. You, mm. you can't be so enamored with where you're at. So, um, but when you're around people like Cheney and, and Powell and, and oh my goodness, Condoleezza Rice and Bush, those people were busy running the country. They were in at seven. They were there till 10 or 11 at night. Nobody outworked them. So you, you did have a sense of smallness and humility. Right. And Condoleezza Rice said something to me one day. Um, she said, Dane, these are historic and consequential times. None of us deserve to work here. Mm. She said that to me one on one one time. We were talking. I mean, and I could share some other quotes from other people, but I don't want to take up the whole podcast. But I remember saying to her, Thank you Mm. for what you do. And she looked at me. I said, I'm probably not supposed to say this, and it might not come across the right way, but I just want to. Say thank you for who you are and what you do and, and so She looked at me and she went, Thanks, Dane. I appreciate that. And then I mean just just the candor, the honesty. You rub shoulders with people like that, it changes your life. Yeah. And and you don't feel like you have to prove as much as you did before. And I and I was, you know, I had the normal insecurities and I had to, you know, I gotta I gotta check the and and I think that was all preparation for what I'm doing even now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're going to get there where you're what you're doing now. But I, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little about a little bit about the president, because um, the message you just gave the lessons you learned are, are, are amazingly good lessons for all of us. Yeah. Um, but I do want to ask you about uh, George W. Bush, like, well, what was your impression of him? And uh, you told me a story one time, I don't know if you're if you're able to share it about a certain hostage situation, and trying to hunt down the bad guys. But uh, tell me about George W. Bush.
1: Yeah, he was rock solid. I think he came from a home where, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm. I he, he used to quote that verse. Um I, I found him he was very smart. He was he was very sneaky. Um and he was a practical joker. Mm. And so if you if he knew you were he used to be a part owner of the Texan uh right. Texan uh, Rangers and he when he found out I was a Phillies fan, he he never he didn't pass up a chance to humiliate me in in front of people that Eagley doesn't even know the, bat, the the batting average of the catcher Daryl Dalton for the for the Phillies, do you, Eggly? And I'd say, oh no, sir, I think it's like two sixty. He goes, no, it's two eighty two. You know, just, just stuff like that. Or you know, you'd be in there with a hostage, um, and he would he would he would say stuff, and you just learn to if you're in the oval, keep your mouth shut unless he talks to you. Because I a couple times I spoke up. and Oh well, sir, he he this hostage was eating pretty good last night at the, the restaurant at Phillips Seafood, and he said, Well, Egli you don't look like you could skip too many meals. <laughs> you know, just, just stuff like that, where he was he was a down-to-earth regular guy, loved families, uh, very proud of his homeschooling background. So when he found out our kids were homeschooled, he fussed over them. But as a leader, um, very traditional, very strong, and and I think people around the world. Um, my impression was in, in the limited travel exposure I had with him was that they re- they feared and respected the United States in a healthy way mm-hmm. and not unlike other presidents uh, like Trump, like uh, uh, others that, that you know, anytime you – the world is a dangerous, evil place, and if you understand the nature of evil, you don't want to equivocate or leave a gap or a, whole, a vacuum for them to fill it. And right. he he was extremely – um, aware that of 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 America's power one time I, uh, we we were talking to him and he, and we asked him um, why why is why is everybody so just after us and and uh, he said you know what it's never changed it's never changed it's called um, influence envy hmm. so when you have a, when you're a superpower and you have all this opportunity and you're doing what America does Uh, people are nice to you diplomatically and all this, but inside they envy the fact that you have what you have and you have to do it in such a way that you're gracious. And, um, you know, he wasn't a street fighter who would go in into like, like Trump was, but um, he was a tough guy Mm -hmm. who, who was from Texas and he was proud of the fact that he was from Texas. And I think God put him there at the right time when the country needed someone to, to walk that experience through 9-11. And um, those of us on, on the National Security Council were working policy. So we weren't over there as direct advisors. We were cranking out point papers and talking points and mm-hmm. you know, really f- trying to think hard about help, helping Condoleezza Rice, who was with him wherever he went. To give her the very best talking points and background, and she could assimilate, distill, and synthesize. I mean, that was her skill. She mm. she was just wicked smart, on her feet, which is why she would she would obviously advise him at every step of the way. And it's national security is the phrase, but it's really global national security.
0: Right. They were all believers, right?
1: I mean, Connelly Sir Rice, definitely, and, and, and President Bush, definitely. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they walked it, talked it. And then the others I probably I don't know as well, but I would say for those two, it was a definite. Um, I mean, they were together 7 o'clock every morning for a brief, and there were, there would be others there. Um, occasionally, if, if the topic warranted, I would get a chance to be in the Oval. Um, I, sometimes I would just take someone over, escort them, and walk them in. And uh, let's say it's a hostage from Roy Hollums from Tennessee, who we got out of Baghdad. Mm-hmm. I would just take him over because President Bush wanted to meet him in person and encourage him and his family. And I would I would be dropping him off. And, and the president one time reached out and said, "Get get in here. You you were work you work this case." And I went in, and that's a big deal because that's all choreographed mm-hmm. for the cameras and everything. Well, I go in there, and there's two. So he's he and the the hostage are at one end. Roy Hollum's and then the stove is, and there's Chaney and, and Connelly Rice and my immediate boss. And they all look at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Cause it wasn't part of the choreography. And so I just sat down and my, my cell phone was in my pocket. It was still on. So I was just kind of like trying to shut it off without them noticing. And so I get to spend 45 minutes, you know, right there. And, you know, just, those are memories that, God wants you to remember that he's the King of Kings. And so you're, you're serving at his pleasure. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think the relationships you build there, they, they appreciate who you are and what you do. Just like in your work, Mm -hmm. you have a great boss who, who would be faithful to. So if I need a reference or I need to reach back, they're, they're still faithful friends. I mean, they, you know i don't go to crawford texas on my vacations no <laughs> but i will say that you know dr rice is amazingly humble and she's she's wildly successful in anything she's done but she never forgets you know who who got her there mm-hmm. and um i'm not the only one there's plenty of people that have have tapped back into her her uh, network so i don't know if that answers your question yeah. No, it's good, man.
0: It's a, I think it's an insight people need to know. We need to know our leaders care and what they're like and you know, things like that. It's a, an insider's kind of viewpoint. Um, so what happened after the White House? You went on to uh, to do what after that?
1: I went out to Colorado to NORTHCOM, which is the combatant commander for the homeland we established after 9-11. Uh, we have combatant commands, four-star generals, and a uh, chief of mission um, ambassador. Every everywhere, Every piece of real estate in the world. What we realized at 9-11 was we were attacked in our homeland. Right. And we had to have a combatant commander who was focused every day on the homeland defense, theater security cooperation, and defense support of civil authorities within the legal and and statutory limitations. So I went out there to be the J-35, which is future operations. And it turned out to be really a, a, a godsend because our family for the first time just kind of caught its breath you know, mm-hmm. all four kids, they all just went, ah, oh, hi, Dad, we're going to stay here, okay? Yeah. yeah. And, God, you know, that's when you know that it's time to retire. Mm-hmm. And so um, very blessed, very fortunate, wonderful church. Uh, Caleb, our oldest, went to the Air Force Academy. Um, our daughter uh, found her spouse there. Caleb found his spouse. And you know, all four kids just loved it there. And Anne Marie discovered her inner cowgirl.
0: That's when you got the and ranch, right?
1: That's, uh, yeah, we, well, we stayed in, in Colorado Springs for another 80 years mm-hmm. because the kids were in school and so forth. But once the kids were gone, mm-hmm. we started looking, and and uh, that ranch, yeah, that was 50 miles west of Colorado Springs, and, and Anne-Marie has a permanent smile on her face. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so it's now that season of life where um, the the nature of my work is is does not lend itself to to being in a little uh, town of Guffey, ninety five people. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be somewhere where I'm doing, you know, the national security advising, um, homeland security writing, speaking, talking, r- advising. It's just a skill set that I didn't know I had. Mm-hmm. So so like like both of you, you come out of life, you come out of the shoot. And there are things you definitely know you're good at from school. You know you're good at this. You can go run. You know, but there are there are certain things inside of each one of us that we don't even know are there. Mm-hmm. And so what what I didn't know, this knuckle dragging football player, uh, fly fishing on the Susquehanna River, kid, what I what I was really destined to do was provide big ideas, big thoughts, and solutions. Um, and strategize Mm -hmm. with policy and doctrine and and legal, you know, diplomatic, uh, informational, military, economic, all infused together, integrated to, to be able to work in that uh, volatile, um, versatile, agile, you know, complex environment. Mm -hmm. And, and, and and who, who would have known that that's kind of the threat environment, the security environment that we have right now. We're not going to go, uh, direct direct uh, combat, armed conflict with Russia, China, or North Korea or Iran, but we're going to do all sorts of competition uh, things that irritate one another. Well, you need some some sinister minds, and back to that theme. Uh, Troy's laughing because he knows <laughs> that yeah. one of the things you have to learn if you're going to grow up in certain places in, in the country, which I would say, Susquehanna Valley, you're not going to survive some of the some of the uh, Challenges there if you don't if you don't come back and have a have an answer. So I kind of would say that we um, that I'm that I'm doing what I was supposed to do now. And here's when you know it. And, and you two are both going to laugh at this because it happens to you guys when people look at you and go that where did you learn that? That's where how did you and and you realize you're just doing what you were made to do. Right. Uh-huh. I mean when you when, when you do a certain surgery or you do a certain IT thing. I mean, it's just what you're supposed to do. And and so I I would say to men that one of the ways you sharpen that discovery is spend time around men who love you, and um, he who walks with the wise Mm. becomes wise. He who walks with fools becomes a fool, it says in Proverbs. I spend as much time as I can with wise men who know the Lord and— they helped me um, and and like like you guys and and i think that in that place you find out what what your destin your destiny mm-hmm. um, and joseph joseph was tested <clears throat> from the age of 13 to 30 17 years of testing before he went in one day in one day from the dungeon to the palace and he passed that test because during those <clears throat> 17 years from 13 to 30. God was testing him, testing him, testing him, testing him, and he passed every single test. Not perfectly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, when he's in the dungeon and he's trying to coax the the cupbearer and the cup and the baker, hey, when you get up there will you remember me? He's trying to he's not sure God's going to do it, so he's trying to accelerate the process like we all would. But we are being tested. And I think when I look back now, over the past 20 years, I was being tested, tested, and I didn't pass every test, but I passed the ones that God wanted to know. Would, would I be willing to to obey him even when it was painful? Would I um, not be ashamed of him when it, when it was counted? Would I have the courage that my parents taught me to have? Mm. And I, I think with, with men all around me, I have no excuse. When I was weak, I had 50 men, 40 men, 20 men gather around me and say in the chair, Dane.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, but yeah, but Dane, shut up, sit down. And they put me in the chair. And when you're in the chair, and 20 men, 30 men, 50 men don't just pray for you, they fight for you. They're fighting to get a word in edgewise before God. Nothing, I mean that changed my life. When I when I when I crawled into that men's group in Colorado Springs, when my, my marriage was not going well, my family was not going well, these men who were on their mar- third marriage or, you know, lost a child, whatever. They loved on me like Jesus does. He, they protected me. They, they provided for me. And they put me in the chair and said, it's your turn. Mm-hmm. Sit down. And then what they did was fought. They went to the throne of grace before the Lord and said, Lord, this is, this is our man. This is our man. And we are not going to let the enemy continue to destroy and affect and, and, and prowl on him. And we're pleading with you. When I got up out of that chair, I wanted to roar. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go fight and win and serve the Lord. And honestly, my my wife has been a large part of this because she has uh, had to put up with, you know, all, all the stuff and the growth that we had, like we all have. And, uh, yeah that's uh sorry i got got a little no, excited that's okay sorry, that's okay man, that's
0: great stuff man and uh you know i mean there's a lot in there that you talked about uh, finding your purpose and that's one of the big things that we talk about at F3 is that you know, we got names for everything so it's kind of like almost kind of like the military but acronyms and various things but um but they called a dolphin and daffodil your dolphin is what you are born to do what you're really passionate about what comes easy for you what you love doing what you want to keep working at and when that intersects with the group of people that you're passionate about reaching. uh, That's the intersection uh, that, uh, that where you find your purpose. And some guys really struggle with that. And that's a great message. The way to try to find your purpose is to, you know, be with men that love you and can speak into your life and, and, uh, and men that love the Lord. Uh, So that's a great message. Um, I, I just want to say,
1: here's a, here's, here's a metaphor. Okay. Today, today I made a list of, a glossary of three pages of terms. These guys over here, these senior guys, royal family, all these different. We want to do. We want to. We want the magic. We, yeah. we want the. What's the equation? Where's the algorithm? Where's the data? You know, <laughs> we want to. I said, there is none. You have to think through, and it's qualitative more than it's quantitative. But you get quantitative results. Okay, so they said, well, we don't even know the words that we should know, and what's. <laughs> I made a, a glossary of about five hundred words. I said, if you know these words and you know what they mean, you can go consult anywhere in the world uh-huh. and they will pay you three times more than you're worth to do this. Mm. But you have to invest the time, a career, a lifetime. Right. I said, this is the start. This is just these are the words, A through Z. Yeah. And and they're acronyms, they're and it's the first time I've really Put that unique list together, but it was for a group of guys who were ready for it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the reality is, you've got to commit yourself to what it takes to learn the body, Doctor Doctor Nev, mm-hmm. to learn the systems, Doctor Troy, and and in your in our professions, God uh, more than covers a lot of a lot of the gaps. But um, I'll I'll just leave it at that. That I as you were talking, Nev, and I, yeah. I just thought of this today. That was that was what I gave, and I gave him the best gift I had. I mean, I gave him my gold. At, at this right. stage, I'm not holding back. Right. Okay, you want it? Here it is. This this is this is it. Yeah. And we we're going to spend between now and August hitting a lot of these things with a curriculum. Mm-hmm. And um, I I like to lean into PowerPoint and do you know like everybody else and put together something that's that's going to make a difference. But I'm given. What am I doing? I'm giving these guys my best. Yeah. Along with a team of about 80, 80 other guys. I'm I'm uh, the only Coastie right now, but I'm recruiting others.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, they need a Coast Guard guy to stitch together because we're not only one of the armed forces, we're also law enforcement. So right. there's some unique um, ligaments that we connect.
0: Yeah. So talk about your current role over there in Saudi Arabia. That's um, you know, it's interesting because I, I think when you're showing that stuff, it's like you get to a point in your career where you've you've developed all this, you, you've accumulated all this experience and success, and you've made mistakes and you've learned from it. It's kind of cool to for somebody to pose a question that may, stimulates you to start thinking about. Well, how do I know that? Where did I get that from? You know, how can I teach it? How can I pass
2: it on? That's that's pretty cool. Because sometimes I just I just I just know it. Right, I, don't, right. I don't know how I know it. Right, I just know it.
0: Yeah, it's like, and when we have students like and, and come to us and, and rotate with us in cardiac surgery, and and we, and we say, well, this when this happens, you do this, and, and and I love it when they say, well, why, you know, and uh, because and, and, when I was younger, I'd be like, uh, well, uh, let me go figure that out why we do it that way. Hey, John, do you know why we do it? so? Um, but anyway, you know, as you get older in your career, you, you, the more experience you have at doing that stuff. It's really important to know the why, you know, in, in everything in life, but it's really important to know the why, but how, why you know, why you do certain things and why it works. Um, that's, that's amazing stuff, man. What I want to do right now is take a pause um, and we're going to, we're going to pick up on the next episode because I really want to get into, you know, the, re- the rest of the stuff you did, but I really want to talk about. Our men's group that I started here that you came in and and, uh, added uh, some dynamite to, and the men's groups you've been a part of, I'm going to talk about the book you wrote and the book you're about to write, and I'm going to talk about your future book because uh, I've got some ideas for you, so um, sit back and and relax and uh, and get ready for all that. So, uh, you know, it's been an hour and a half into this episode. What we're gonna do, guys out there listening, we're gonna take a little break right now. I know that uh, you've loved this because I've loved it. Uh, Dial up. This is really cool stuff, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and I told I told uh, Dane um, whenever I talked when I talked to you yesterday. I can't remember anymore, but he, uh, I talked to him yesterday. I said, uh, you know, this is it's not like writing your memoirs, but man, this is gonna be there for posterity, yeah. you know, for everybody to, to to listen to in the future. And and when I think about that, I think about my grandkids, my great grandkids, my great great. Wouldn't it be cool? to have something like this from your great 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 grandfather or something like that right yeah um so anyway we're gonna get into a whole lot more stuff uh so uh i know y'all want more you're gonna get it but you gotta wait till the next episode so what we're gonna do is just take a pause right now uh say goodbye on this episode and we'll pick up on the next one